You're listening to Unscripted with Alex, a podcast that empowers young families to make choices that are best for them and their children. Thank you, Tiffany, for finally coming onto the show. This has been a long time coming. I've been speaking about you so much in this show, and now you are finally on here. Thank Thank you you. for having me. It's a delight to be here and, yeah, to put it down on a recording. Yeah. Conversations. (laughs) Yes. So for the listeners, I am very close with Tiffany. We have known each other for many years and um, Tiffany has guided me through my pregnancy. And so we have had these conversations a lot over the last two years probably yeah I guess because I don't know we really got into the nitty-gritty of it once you were pregnant yourself and yeah chatting about all this stuff and and as with so many things in life there's that constant evolution of ideas and and it's so nice to have someone to bounce them off and I I get so much value from our conversations also so I'm so excited to be doing this with you today So Tiffany is a um, midwife, so she's got a lot of um, fabulous knowledge for us, but today's podcast, we're actually going to hear more of Tiffany's personal story and about her two births. So she's got two beautiful boys, um, and both of these births looked very different, as all births look very different, don't they? But I suppose your mindset around the two were different. You became a midwife after your first one. But yeah, we want to hear about your story and then we might do some more podcasts in the future where we can get a bit more of your clinical knowledge. Let's start off by hearing about your first birth. What was happening during your pregnancy and around that whole time? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when you first become pregnant, it's a whole thing, right? And it was no different for me. As you said, I wasn't a midwife then. I was uh, a nurse. And so I thought I had some idea of what pregnancy and having a baby might be like but when you're in that experience it's a whole nother thing and so my story really began when I I got married and I realized soon after that that maybe I was pregnant (laughs) (laughs) so it's a surprise yes I mean, we shouldn't be all that surprised. We're, we're fertile beings, right? And, um, but yeah, I guess just in the flurry of prepping for a wedding, somehow pregnancy happened. And so, um, so yeah, I would have always thought that I would be excited to be pregnant, although I hadn't really ever given it much consideration. You know, I, I, it wasn't necessarily in my timeline and I I hadn't been thinking about it seriously (laughs) at all and so to then get a pregnancy test and we on a stick and see that okay pregnant that was kind of surprising shocking and Um, I guess then I yeah I kind of concealed the fact that I was pregnant then I was not um, feeling good about that that situation, and I that that was also shocking to me that that I was in that. So, I I didn't tell my husband that I was pregnant until beyond eight weeks. So I yeah I was really nervous about that bit, and then um, I didn't really tell anyone. And it was only when I started 
I really started raging in my pregnancy. I was so angry and I didn't know why I, I, my husband knew that I was pregnant. And so he was like, Oh, it's probably the hormones. And, and that just made me angrier. (laughs) And so I thought something's not quite right here. And I started writing down all the, all the symptoms I was having, all the things that I, I was feeling. And, um, I saw that there was quite a big list of, of not great positive feelings. They were, they were fairly dark. Um, I had a time as well where I felt as though maybe it was better not to be around anymore. And so I, that was the point where I thought maybe I need to go tell someone I'm pregnant. (laughs) So I told my mum, and, um, and then she was going to come to a doctor's appointment with me. So I was really vulnerable and I thought, who, what doctor will I go and see? Because, you know, pregnant, go and see a doctor. That's, that's what we know of the maternity system as it is in Australia. And so I booked in to see the doctor who I had seen since I was a child. (laughs) Your child doctor. (laughs) Family doctor. Family doctor. And because, you know, I felt as though this person was the best choice for me and I, I knew knew them and basically I went into this appointment I said so I'm pregnant but that's not why I'm here (laughs) and I was 15 weeks (laughs) I said I need a referral to a psychologist or something wow so you were very well aware of what was going on mentally so hang on just go back a second (laughs) so you were closer to 15 weeks when you told your mum Oh, yeah. And eight weeks when you told your partner, your husband. And do you know roughly how many weeks along you would have been when you found out then? I guess around that six-week mark, you know, when I had started to have some nausea and all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, maybe maybe six weeks. It was a while ago. I know there was certainly a gap between finding out... uh, I went into a public toilet at a, at a really random place at a like a boulevard, a shopping centre, and I'd been into the pharmacy and I bought a pregnancy test and I went into the um, toilet and I I don't know I was shopping with mum or something. She was outside and I was like, <gasps> oh my god! So you wow, that gives even but more I didn't context tell her to that. that, at that yeah, time. it was like so you like wow, I'm going to hold on to this um, and work out. <laughs> what's going on even at your that first doctor's appointment you were already still trying to ignore yeah. like no 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 Full I'm just denial. here because of my mind yeah. okay so what goes on from there so I guess then I started seeing a beautiful psychologist and um, as part of the mental health care plan at that time there were 10 subsidized appointments with a psychologist um, through Medicare and that was really great to be able to access that And so I saw her and gradually over time, I was able to talk through a lot of stuff. And I came to understand that there were many things in, in my life and my situation that were contributing to the way that I was feeling. And so I worked through that stuff. And I remember one particular appointment with her where she said something along the lines of, you know, for some women, the baby's born and then all of this feeling that you're having just kind of lifts and I I was very dismissive when she said that to me I was like no I'm I don't think this is just going to lift and um but it turned out that's exactly what happened for for me so I was and I don't know whether it was the suggestion that she had made that that could be something that would happen or 
or whether it was the shift in hormones or what it was, but um, certainly that then coloured my experience of moving into parenting this baby because I had been through something that was very dark. I was, um, I guess I was diagnosed with depression, um, perinatal depression, not so much anxiety, but certainly low, you know, feeling really low. And so I guess once I got on the other side of birth, the baby bit felt really easy. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So Were you, cool. Did they start you on any medications at all or was it all managed through um, your appointments with your psychologist? Yeah, so all just talking things through and that was good. That was all that I sort of felt I needed and also, yeah, with, with some guidance from from the psychologist also yeah so how were you feeling leading up to the actual birth were you able to connect with your baby during pregnancy um or were you still finding that really hard because of um your mental state yeah okay so I guess baby was just growing in there luckily just doing doing their thing and aside from my mental health the pregnancy was going swimmingly I mean I was 26 and I was pretty healthy and fish and I was working at the time on my husband's family's dairy farm and so very very active in that pregnancy um still in significant denial yes so leading up to um to the birth (laughs) as you as I did at the time there were um antenatal classes available through the hospital and so I signed up to the the antenatal, antenatal classes. And these classes were being run by the most beautiful midwife. And it was the first time that I started to realise that I was actually pregnant. <laughs> yeah, you haven't spoken about this story for a very long time or in its entirety, yeah. have you? Yeah. So lots of emotions. Take a big breath. That was kind of wild because that was then about having to face this pregnancy. How many weeks were you at that point? Um, I was well into my second trimester, so beyond 26, 28 weeks, I suppose. And, yeah, so that was kind of new to to recognise that. And, of course, my husband and I, we went, went along to these classes and the content was fascinating and I really resonated with all the things that I was hearing in the classes. And I guess it was at that time, approaching 32 weeks, I remember it was 32 weeks, I was like, what am I, what am I doing? Like, I, I started to feel as though I just wanted to be left to be able to birth on my terms step into my power with birth and really like do this birth in the way that I I wanted to. And I wasn't really sure where all that was coming from. I didn't have language um, to really put to the feelings that I was having around um, what, where that desire, uh, what its origins were. Like I, I didn't know that birth was something that could just, happen you know and um until I went to these classes and so that was really cool to learn about all of that but then yeah what do you do with that sort of information so I also had that whole bit of having learnt through my life that you know the doctors they know what's going on and so 
I really had reverence for the doctor who I was seeing each week towards the end of my pregnancy and um, and what he had to say. I was, I was really listening to that and I was like weighing everything up and trying to, to make decisions around what I wanted to do for my pregnancy. But the interesting part of all of that was that I began to um, uh, have this story of I'm going to have to go into this hospital and fight for the things that I want. And I, I, I thought that in my mind and I started to say that that to people who were, who were asking me about what my plans were for my birth and that sort of thing. I was like, you know, I really, I really want this thing and I really want that thing. And I, I guess towards the end of the pregnancy, what I, with all of that chatter, all of that self-talk, I, I slipped into this state of like fight and flight. And I was really quite adrenaline fueled or, or high levels of cortisol and just that that constant stress response um, towards the end of my pregnancy, which interestingly is the exact opposite of what is helpful um, in order for spontaneous labor to begin. And so um, as it was, the pregnancy continued on and at 42 weeks um, pregnant, I... I went to an appointment with my doctor and each week I'd been saying to the receptionists at the doctor's surgery, oh, I won't see you next week because I'll, I will have had my baby. And that didn't happen. And so I kept going to these appointments and, of course, um, well-being scans are offered and continuous monitoring for baby just uh, a couple of times a week in order to, to check in with bubs. And so all of these things were happening beyond that 41 weeks. I was also having conversations about induction from around 40 weeks with my, my doctor. And, and so I'm really starting to feel a lot of fear creeping in around, around all of these decisions that I'm now starting to have, uh, have to make because I'm, I'm edging beyond the parameters of what is considered normal, um, in pregnancy and birth. So that was, that was kind of full on. Do you find yourself constantly reaching for sugary foods? It's no secret that eating too much sugar can wreak havoc on your gut health. Not only does it feed bad gut bacteria, but it can also cause inflammation and damage to the gut lining. Fatika Co's Gut Health Protocol is here to help. Our simple four-week reset program is designed to remove triggers and unwanted microbes, supporting you through your sugar hangover and repairing the gut. So why wait? Start feeling better today with Fatika Co's Gut Health Protocol. What um, made you feel like you were going to have to fight for your choices? Obviously, that's not an unusual thought to have because often we do have yeah. to fight for what we want um, in, in that situation. But what were the little things that were pushing you to think that that was going to be the case? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. And casting my mind back, I just can't put my finger on it. I, I actually can't put my finger on a whole lot because the process of then transformation into mother and you know everything begins to get a little bit blurred around around all of that and since I didn't write any of this down at the time it's 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 challenging to know what it was I wonder if it was the conversations that or the discussions that were happening in the antenatal classes mm -hmm. that that really 
sparked that curiosity around all of that. But yeah, I can't be sure what what that shift was about, whether it was even deeper, you know, whether it's that coming through that maternal lineage, that kind of thing, and that, that inner knowing and remembrance of what what our bodies are capable of. I, I'm not sure. It's a funny thing for some people, that might be the first time in their life that they ever experience that feeling of having to fight for their choices around their own bodies. Yeah. If you've never been unwell and you've gone through your whole life pretty much not really in the medical system at all, you're never really faced with that. Yeah. But as soon as you're pregnant and you step into that medical system, immediately there's outside bodies trying to um, control or have a say or make suggestions make suggestions have some kind of influence yeah Yeah. and it's the first time that you're feeling like you actually have to face it yes yeah yeah i mean through our life we have been conditioned in such a way to to look to authority for certain decisions that we make throughout our life and so you know it's not by accident that we're in this situation by the time we come to birthing our own babies but it certainly makes it something to grapple with yeah <laughs> that's right and the thing around the induction is that those conversations start earlier than what you really probably want them to be happening but I can also understand it from the doctor's point of view where they're trying to prepare the the woman and to start thinking about those choices yeah. around what's involved with induction yeah. but I remember even for myself when uh, we hadn't even gone over the due date that's when they first mentioned okay well if things haven't happened by next week we'll do an induction or we'll do a stretch and sweep or whatever and you're thinking hang on hang on hang on I'm not I'm not at that point yet I don't even want that to be on the table as an option just yet like let's just see what happens here and now so okay so you made it to 42 weeks was it and then they started saying induction or what was happening where were you there yeah yeah so induction have been spoken about since 40 weeks so you know by the time you're at 42 weeks you've had many conversations about about that and I guess (laughs) this appointment on 42 weeks um was really I don't know what I was thinking but I came out of that (laughs) appointment understanding that okay tomorrow Tiffany you're going to go into the hospital and and they're gonna break your waters and then you're just gonna wait for labor to begin and I was like cool yeah I can do that I'll go to the hospital I'll get them to do that thing that they want to do like they've been talking about it for weeks let's do that and so I arrived at the hospital I I'm not even sure if I took bags. Yeah, I must have taken some bags in and things. But I thought I I was going to go home, like, after releasing my membranes. Not the case. (laughs) (laughs) That's not how they roll. (laughs) And so I had that done. And then they said to me, okay, now you can go for a walk on the beach. That's amazing, right? So you think, oh, that's so cool. Like, this hospital, it's right near the beach. I'm going to go for a walk. The reality of walking on the beach with your membranes open or your waters open is kind of not that enjoyable as trickling (laughs) trickling down your legs because amniotic fluid is copious, right? And so as you're moving around, it all just comes out. So I got back from this little stroll feeling rather uh, saturated. (laughs) Yeah, and then they said, oh, you know, now it's time to put in the cannula and we're going to start the synth synthetic oxytocin um trip and I was like hang on 
I thought I was going home. So the Syntocin is the um, synthetic oxytocin mm-hmm. that they give you to and try so and yeah. yeah, try and make nice strong contractions. Oh yeah. Okay, <laughs> so tell us about this part now. So yeah. you've you've realized that you're not going home. I'm not going home. And some more stuff's gonna happen. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I realized that rather quickly once the sin was and it started running and of course um I now know I'm a midwife uh it's gradually increased but I really well I was quite aware of that in during my induction also because I felt like I was at the mercy of this midwife who just kept increasing the cinto and increasing the the strength of these surges or these contractions that I was having so that was a ride. Oh my goodness. I, I was not expecting it to be so intense, but I thought that I had prepared well. So I, I used some of the techniques that I had learned in the antenatal classes. I, I had listened to the hypnobirthing, um, Australia scripts. And so I had, uh, yeah, I had been doing that during my pregnancy. And so I, I felt like I could have a few tools in my in my toolkit. I didn't really have a f- very good handle on breathing, but I was doing my best with with the information that I had and what I knew. And so, just getting through each surge. But but the purpose of this is to really increase those contractions to such a such a state and such a um, rate that you know the baby is born after a time. And so. They were coming thick and fast, you know, and um, I, all I wanted to do was go into the shower. I just was asking, please let me go into the shower. I just want to have some water and no. no. Of course I hadn't thought of that. So you're you're now, because yeah. you're hooked up to the Sintos and you're stuck wow. on the bed, so you really don't have that freedom. It's a very different um something that I hadn't really thought of it being quite a different process to when your body is naturally producing its own oxytocin and the surges are getting stronger and faster and you kind of just feeling your body and going with it. Now you're like, you're to blame nurse (laughs) midwife. You're the one who's pushing that button and you're not feeling in your body. And also you're not allowed to go into your little cave in the shower like you wanted to. And and the other part to that as well is that with the induced labor, um, you're not, you're not getting that same feedback of endorphins that you would get with a spontaneous labor. So the surge builds with the oxytocin and then um, as you come down the peak of that that oxytocin wave you get this like rise in endorphins and that's the hormone that makes us feel so good Our, we have research that tells us that endorphins are between 20 and 40 times stronger than morphine and our body produces that on its own so but in an induction you're just not getting that same feedback because the synthetic oxytocin works in a slightly different way Far out. But obviously I didn't know this at the time. (laughs) Just on that point, I've heard of people that go into, um, can experience like a uh, euphoria type of experience and that must be that part, is it? Yeah, totally. Interesting. And so how long was your labour going for then? I coped with all of my tools and used all of that stuff until for maybe eight hours of this induction. And then I requested, well, they offered a vaginal examination to check my cervix and see how things were unfolding there and um 
I was told that I was four centimetres after eight hours and I also didn't understand that that was actually really amazing. As a first-time mother, to be four centimetres after eight hours of an induction, that's freaking awesome. Which yeah, I your body's think, been doing a right? lot of stuff for eight hours, yeah. But in that moment, I did not think that. Yeah, you thought four, that's four <laughs> out of ten. I've got yeah. to get to ten. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I thought, yes. And so I said, yeah, it's time for the epidural. I, I need something. Um, so, oh, I forget about this bit. The anaesthetist, it took maybe an hour for the anaesthetist to come in, popped the epidural in several attempts and then left. And with an epidural, it's not, you know, it's it's not always, every woman is unique and different and has a different anatomy. So the epidural can work in such a way that it varies from woman to woman. Didn't know all of this either. And so... Um, the epidural that I experienced was uh, fully blocked m- mobility and movement in my legs, but I still had sensation over my abdomen. So now I wasn't able to move, but I was still having the same intensity of contractions with my labor. That sounds horrible. Yeah. Oh and it wasn't cool. So they, I think at that point, I, I mean, it's a blur, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that anesthetists came back and it, attempted to do something, whether I had it recited, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Um, and I got some amount of coverage of my abdomen. I think it was just on one side. So then I still had full intensity on one side, but not the other. So that was kind of weird and full on also couldn't move on the bed. And that was really scary, um, to be stuck in a position, essentially paralyzed in your lower limbs. And so, um, I would need people to move me on the bed. And I mean, all of this went on. And eventually in the middle of the night, I think it was one o'clock in the morning, um, I birthed my baby vaginally, which was epic and amazing. And I was so happy that I did that. But the thing that really pushed me to make that happen to my mind was there was a, a point in that labour where I had the doctor and the midwife and they looked at each other and I saw them look at each other and they had a look. I don't know what they were thinking, but I felt like they were looking at each other because they were thinking either forceps or cesarean or whatever. But those words never were said, but I was like, I am not doing that. <laughs> this baby is going to be born this way. And so they were kind of, oh, yeah, that's right, because um, Bub's head was still very high. So I brought baby's head barreling down through my pelvis and out and then vomited all over the midwife. (laughs) Payback for the oxytocin. (laughs) Well, this is the third midwife by this stage, so we'd already changed shifts a bunch of times. Just to go back with this dilation, it's not really a good indication of how long it's going to take you. So even though you're four centimetres, you could potentially get to 10 really quickly. Could be really long. It's different for everybody. So it's not really a good indication. It's not like you move one centimetre every hour or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Women's bodies just vary so, so much. And by placing our fingers into a woman's cervix, we can have a little snapshot of what is happening right at that moment in terms of the baby's head in in what position it's in and also um, 
how open the cervix is, but really the cervix is only the lower part of the uterus. So it's not this separate bit that magically springs open like a rubber band. It's it's the lower segment of the uterus and it has to be pulled up by the fundus, which is the top of the uterus. So even as a midwife now, if I am to check a cervix, I potentially can't feel part of the cervix that would need to still be pulled up and around baby's head because it's too far in to, to reach. And so, so there's even that, like that even if we are told that we're 10 centimetres, there still may be some lower segment of the uterus sort of sitting around baby's head. Maybe baby needs to find a different position to come then down through the pelvic structures. So there's just so much more than a cervix like when we're birthing our babies. And it's a small piece of information as part of the bigger picture. But for us as women, when we're birthing, we really get quite, I don't know, fixated or, or we think about it in the way that you described earlier of, oh my goodness, it's taken me X number of hours to get to four centimetres. I don't know if I can do that same number of hours to get all the way to 10 centimetres because that's the narrative, that's the story we have around cervixes dilating and birthing babies. Yeah, and one of the reasons why lots of women and myself included put on our plan not to be checked because that can really mess with your mental state and your mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really good, a really great technique, you know, to, to consider whether that's information that is going to be helpful to you or whether that's going to create um, a a change in your, in your mindset around, around birthing. And so, um, yeah. And only you will know what it will do to you. But yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah. It varies woman to woman. And some women are quite comfortable with knowing the, the number and, and that's so fine. Yeah. So before we dive into the next part after your birth um, and baby has come out, looking back on that experience, do you feel um, like baby just wasn't ready or there was intervention made at the wrong time or that you trusted that you that intervention had to happen or have you had any thoughts around reflection on it or have you sort of like well that's happened and I'm just gonna do something different next time I have had huge reflections on all of that (laughs) yes absolutely and what I have come to is this realization and I mean I'm beyond seven years since this experience so it's given me a lot of time to think about this stuff but um I am so grateful for that experience I I really am I I wouldn't be a midwife if I hadn't have had that type of experience. I wouldn't um, be so passionate about birth. I wouldn't be striving to to share with families ways that they can navigate their birth, feeling really um, empowered and as though they have agency over their bodies um, if I hadn't have gone through that. And there's a really great quote by... um, Jane Hardwick Collings, and she says that we have the births that we need to have in order to take us to the next part of our journey. And particularly in the context of parenting, you know, these types of birth experiences do then set us on a path. I stepped out of that hospital after that birth experience and I was like, well, I'm not birthing in a hospital again. And I'm going to be a midwife. Two amazing things that have now happened. And I suppose these conversations are around 
Not to say that interventions shouldn't happen or that intervention is always a bad thing, but it's to say for women to um, empower yourself with knowledge, have your inner power and keep your voice and work through the situations that you're faced with to have a choice around your birth so that you have the most positive birth experience that you can. And a positive birth experience doesn't mean it has to be this all natural birth that you just breathe the baby out. It can be in any form, but it means that you're, you feel good about the choices and nobody was sort of taking advantage or um, intervening over top of you. (laughs) That's right. And the, the evidence that, is around birth trauma in particular. Um, So firstly, with um, birth trauma, one in three women will describe their births as traumatic and then potentially have complications as a result of that um, for their mental health, all of that sort of thing. So um, there's that. But then we also know that the reason that women have trauma around birth is because they feel as though decisions were taken out of their hands and they were not um, treated with respect and dignity and their rights were taken away from them. So, so that really culminates in this, this sense of, yeah, feeling as though it was a traumatic experience. And and that was certainly my experience. And although I've, I've had a, had a vaginal birth and it was, um, it was with an epidural and on paper, it actually looks like a really successful induction. That wasn't, how I experienced it. I didn't come away feeling as though that were the case. And so, and that really led to then my, my reflections as such, um, around then not wanting to birth subsequent babies in the hospital. Mm. Yeah. You, we have touched now on that. You were going through your birth and your men, um, sorry, through your pregnancy, your mental health was not at its best. What happened as soon as the baby came out? I had this baby and I, Immediately after the birth, I had skin to skin and really great breastfeed. And then there were three more babies born in succession after my baby that morning. So I never saw the midwife again because in uh, this small little hospital manned or womaned by only two midwives, um, there were then, there was I birthed at one o'clock, someone else birthed at two o'clock, someone else birthed at, I don't know, four o'clock, and then there was another birth at six o'clock. So it was wow. quite a busy evening for those midwives. And that was bliss. I was so happy to just, after all of that, just be left to my own devices. And I'm sure the midwife popped her head in, but I don't remember. <laughs> um, and so then... I had this baby and I'm pretty sure I got a very, uh, I don't know, relaxed baby, uh, <laughs> which was probably the only baby that I could have, mm, I got the baby that I needed after that experience. And so, um, yeah, my son breastfed and slept and did all the things that you could hope for, I suppose. And I felt pretty pretty lucky about all of that and enjoyed the parenting part like that was awesome I thought mothering was going to be so hard for me and it was not so that was that was good (laughs) yeah you've said to me a few times you will um have the baby that is the most perfect design for you (laughs) and and he was definitely the most uh, perfect design for you 
So after this birth, you've said that's led you to have a new belief system around birth and educating women. And over these seven years, you have sort of, you're following a different a pathway, I suppose, um, around your, you've be- you're a midwife now, mm-hmm. um, which you became qualified how long after having your first? So firstly, I became a breastfeeding counsellor with the Australian Breastfeeding Association. So I, I really wanted to be with other women and um, I saw that as a way of, you know, um, finding that sisterhood and that solidarity in, in the the breastfeeding part because you know I I felt that I had something to offer there then began my midwifery training when he was two years old worked at the hospital as a student midwife as well and I focused all of my assignments and studies on making sense of the birth that I had and really by unpacking what the research was saying about the, the things that I had had chosen and kind of retrospectively understanding understanding how I came to those decisions, I guess. And yeah. yeah. And heading into this second birth, what was your mindset like? I know you were very excited for this second birth. I mean, it took a long time for me to consider becoming pregnant again. I I thought I was going to have one baby. I had no intention of going through birth again. And if I did, as I said, I would be in, in the home. Um, but certainly th- the process of becoming a midwife gave me the time and space to really consider the previous birth and then start to toy with the idea of maybe then having another baby. So it was five years before we got to the point where we were willing to to go through it. Well, I was willing to go through another pregnancy and birth. And so in preparation for all of that, we um, we started doing all the things that would set us up for a really healthy pregnancy. So, you know, getting off the alcohol and focusing on a really healthy diet and um, and eventually then having this, this conception that, that came out of all of that. Um, I went and saw a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner for some acupuncture and some herbal stuff. And before even becoming pregnant, um, that was felt like a really nourishing way into pregnancy for me. This second time around, I weaned on the stick. And then I called that midwife who had taught those antenatal classes five years earlier. <laughs> I said, will you be my midwife? So just for the listeners, mm-hmm. you um, had a private midwife for mm-hmm. this next one and you got in touch with her very early on, straight away. Yes, because yes. they are in high need. <laughs> Everyone wants them. They book out very quickly. That's right. And so I already knew that that was what I was going to do. So as soon as I was pregnant, I um, made contact and set all of that up. I really spent a lot of time um, uh, still addressing reservations and fears that I was having around birthing. Um, in that in that period of my midwifery career, I was actually working with the midwifery group practice, which is a continuity of midwifery care service, um, and I was based in Bunbury. So I had a caseload of women who I was meeting, and we were both pregnant together, and the, these women who I was um, supporting in their pregnancies and births, they were a little bit further along than me, but um, it's funny I see them now, and 
our babies are pretty much the same age. So <laughs> at the time that felt like some distance, but yeah. So I was, um, on call during that time. So I would drive to attend births and I got the chance to also attend home birth as part of that program as well. So all really great preparations for me personally, for my own pregnancy and birthing experience that next time around. I also attended the positive birth program, which is offered through the WA Country Health Service. And I learned about hypnobirthing techniques and all the different tools that come as part of that program, which all women are able to access because I then went on to train as a practitioner and I now teach that program um, that I love so much in my pregnancy, you know. And yeah, so I was doing that. I went and saw a women's health physio and was able to um, address my pelvic floor. And I know that you've spoken to Izzy on the podcast and she she really outlined all the things that, that I experienced in my pregnancy as well. And that was great. I saw an osteopath and had regular treatments with that. I So went, the osteopath, was that to align hips and things like that? Just to see what it's like. just amazing <laughs> and I can't explain that, but oh, that was such a wonderful experience to regularly see this person. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do what they do, but it felt really good. (laughs) I also saw the traditional Chinese medicine practitioner and had acupuncture frequently as well. So I was doing all the things. Um, I went and did pregnancy yoga. I sought out this particular pregnancy yoga teacher because I knew that she was a student midwife. And I thought, if I like her, I might ask her to be my student midwife. I did. And she was then my student midwife. So that was great as well. Um, And then the other part I really should say about um, private practice midwife, because obviously that then is the the support, the overarching support that I received throughout my pregnancy and just so important and amazing. So what that involved was having appointments in my home and basically just to catch up. Well, that's what it felt like. I know that there was obviously lots, lots going on in those appointments, but certainly it was forming that really solid connection and relationship with the midwife who was ultimately going to then attend the birth at home for me. And so, um, sorry, just, I love how you just said the midwife was going to attend the birth. We quite often use language around the doctor that would deliver the baby or the midwife that would deliver the baby. We, the woman, deliver the baby. Oh, the baby's not a pizza, so yeah. there's no delivering of anything. I mean, we're birthing this baby. Yeah. It's it's not something that we're passive in. It's something that even if we opt or um, for medical reasons go down the path of cesarean section, we are still birthing this baby. This is a birth that we own as women and, well, own is even the wrong word, but um, it's it's not really about anyone else. It's about the woman and the baby, and they should always be at the centre of the of the experience. And other people are there to provide that support, and whatever the woman's needs are, then allow that to, or not allow, <laughs> saying all the, all the words that we have in our language that um, that really are quite authoritarian, but that's really not the, the situation in birth. It's, um, 
It's about something that our body is doing. It's a physiological process that that unfolds. And so it's not necessarily a medical event. Um, Yes. We think of it like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, the, the physiology of birth really is no different to the physiology of any other functions of our body, our heartbeat, our breathing, our digestion, all of these things we just do, right? Our body just does those things. And we don't have a doctor walking alongside us through those functions. We don't have a doctor there every time we do a poo going, push, push, you're doing so well. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) Or we only seek out that medical support when we run into a dysfunction of that, of those processes, or, or there is then something that's bothering us about that, that's the time we seek um, medical support. And so it's no, it really is no different with birth. Um, birth is physiological. It's another process that our body is designed to do. And if we reach a time during that process where we do need that medical support, then we can easily seek it because we live in a time and a place where we do have access to wonderful medical care should we need it. Mm. Yeah. So let's um, keep going with what you were talking about as a private midwife, because I hadn't heard of what a private midwife was until I became um, pregnant and you told me about it. Mm-hmm. And another lady that we've had on here, who's a doula, um, Janice, she also, um, has spoken about the private midwife and how challenging she found it to find the information. So explain to us how the private midwife works in relation to a doctor. Do you have both? Do you go still go to doctor's appointments or are they all done at the home with just the private midwife? And I would suggest that navigating the maternity system here in Australia is one of the most challenging aspects of pregnancy. Ever. Um, so certainly uh, a private midwife provides services throughout throughout the pregnancy and um, and support but there is also a generally a, an obstetric provider that is um, involved as well to an extent and this situation is one where you are required to go and see a doctor in order to get a referral to a private practice midwife So just like you would get a referral to any other specialist service, um, you would go see your GP and then you would get a referral that way. So that's how it sort of works. And then the default to that seems to be that then you have a doctor who is um, available then should you need it. But um, for the most part, you would continue to then see your your private midwife. Often the hospital paperwork is attended to by that private midwife as well, or there may be um, a situation where you might just do a one-off appointment with the hospital just to check in because it's important to have a backup hospital uh, in case you need to transfer um, if you're preparing a home birth. The other thing about private practice midwives is that they can support birth in the hospital also, and I'm I'm pretty sure that's the case with Denise. Yeah. Is that right? Yep, that's yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Okay, so being a midwife in the hospital and seeing all these different births going on um, in the home, in the hospital, um, you would have seen quite a variety of ones that were really easy. That's <laughs> probably not none are easy, but ones where, you know, the baby maybe just um, plopped out and no intervention and no um, – pain pain killers or anything like that and then you would have seen other variations which are maybe the more scary kind of stories that we we don't 
necessarily hear, or maybe we do, but you've seen a variety is what I'm getting at. This can, for some people, create fear that you've seen the worst of the worst and you don't want it to happen to you. But then it can also be quite empowering for other women. How did you feel seeing all of these births leading up to yours? Yeah, I was really quite aware of that as something that I needed to keep in check. And um, it's really important to not take other people's experiences on as our own. Um, And that was a philosophy that I held fairly strong throughout my my own pregnancy. Certainly there are all, we have lived experiences up until the moment that we give birth and all of those things that have come before informed then. And so I was making conscious effort to, to address any fears or reservations that were coming up, but also acknowledging that birth is inherently coming with risk. So all birth comes with risk. That's, that's a fact. And, um, for each individual person, it's the risk that they're willing to then sit with, uh, that becomes so unique. And in that decision-making process around all, all types of things, it's understanding that there is risk and then what you're willing to, um, to accept as risk for yourself and your your baby. So I didn't feel as though birthing in the home, in my home, was a risky option for me. And that's because I feel safest in my home. And I know that from my first experience of birth, I had such a lot of adrenaline that was in my body. And I felt as though that contributed to then labor not starting spontaneously so I knew that home was a great place for me to be I knew that I could make use of the physiology or the the hormonal physiology of childbirth in in that way um private privacy safety and feeling a sense of not being observed were the things that were going to um encourage that flow of oxytocin so all of those things made me feel as though home was not a risky choice for me personally and I also was very comforted by the fact that the hospital's you know 20 minutes down the road and that's that feels close enough for me I I was quite okay with that I prepared for a transfer into the hospital I had a hospital bag I um I knew that that was something that was a potential possibility and I got really clear on what it was that I wanted in all kinds of scenarios. I had a set of birth preferences for different situations but I also spent quite a lot of time talking to all the people who were then going to be attending my birth about what it was that I wanted and so I invited my mum to come along to this birth um, Both myself and my brother were born by cesarean section. I really wanted her to have an opportunity to witness birth. I feel lucky as a midwife to be in the presence of birthing women, and I wanted her to have that experience. So um, I, particularly for mum, I wanted her to understand where I was coming from. So I, I guess my birth preferences for the home birth scenario were really about sharing what it was that I wanted out of those support people. Um, So it was things like, you know, after the baby is born, 
I would like for the environment to continue to be dimly lit and not um, no chatter and no unnecessary like movements or you know just really calm and keeping all those same conditions that are so important in birth um, skin to skin and all of these things because birth is not complete until the placenta is birthed and so I I spoke to mum about that I also spoke to her about um when they arrive to the house that it's really also important to not come and talk to me or anything like that. I just want them to arrive into the space, a few big deep breaths, and then, um, you know, eventually move towards me if, if that feels right. So, yeah, lots of little things around all of that setup that is seemingly potentially unimportant, but those are the things that are going to make the birth less risky because the reasons that would um, introduce fear are alleviated to an extent. And you can try and create some of these things in a hospital birth as well if you weren't to do yeah. a home birth. So you can try, you can say who you want to have in your room. Yeah, totally. And who you don't want to have in your room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so who was at your birth? I had my husband, came home from work. I don't know, 7.30 in the evening, and I was like, we might have a baby tonight. <laughs> but also I was like, probably not going to have a baby because I'm only 40 weeks and six days. <laughs> and I was, Surely this baby's not coming that early. That seems way too early. I was prepared to go be pregnant till at least 43 weeks this time, you know, given my previous experience. Um, so I sent him out to the shed in the early part of my labor once I had a sense that maybe, maybe we would have a baby because I was really taken with the idea of after the baby's born, placenta's born, I really want to burn the cord. Of course, right? (laughs) I'm not in a hospital. I want a chance to try this thing that I had heard about in the birth stories that I've been listening to. I should say that birth stories were really one of the main ways that I prepared for this birth, to be honest. Like I would just listen to podcasts back to back birth stories all day because I just wanted to hear what it felt like from a woman's perspective in all kinds of situations so that um, I had some reference point, I guess, um, and some language, more, even more language around what I was going through myself. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, my husband, he was out in the shed building a little box to be able to then get some beeswax candles and burn the cord after the baby was born. And so he spent, you know, a couple of hours in the shed. Sent him off with a task. There we go. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) And that gave me the, the space to then just cruise around the house. My older child, who was now five years old, he'd already gone to bed. So he was, um, he was sleeping and I watched some Married at First Sight, obviously. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I sat on my birth ball and I was like, oh, well, let's see if we can get this happening. Keeping, keeping moving. Yep. And keeping. the mindlessness of something really mindless. <laughs> like Married Help. at First Sight. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but I got really bored with that super quick because then everything started to to. Uh, build and I walked out to the shed and went and checked on the box building progress and 
I'm walking around this dusty shed and I'm having a few surges and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so different to last time. There was no dusty shed. It was very clean. Yes, (laughs) clean and clinical. Yeah, so um, that went on for a bit. I was looking at the stars and I was having all these endorphins and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how good this is. And I'm I'm sending texts to all the other people that I'm going to have at my birth. So Tony, my photographer, I sent her a text. I'm like, I might have a baby, but I can still write a text. So... (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) She was like, okay, I'll get in the car. (laughs) And then my student midwife, I was like, I just don't think I'm going to come to yoga tomorrow night because I think it's time to start staying home. She's like, I might not have a glass of wine. (laughs) I think I'm going to be going to a birth tonight. And then um, I didn't ring my midwife. I forgot about her. Yes, I was going to say, where was your midwife? What do, yeah, no, where I, did you tell her? I didn't. At some point I said to um, my husband, I was like, oh, you really do need to send her a text. I, at this point it was pretty intense. There was no text writing happening. So I yeah. – Mum and dad, <clears throat> when did Oh, they... yeah, I must have texted them at some point too. Okay. And your dad came, didn't he? Yeah, okay. yeah. And so at this point before our midwife has been called, I know you sent – dad off with a chore too to help with the the pool the bath yeah no um my husband was sorting out the pool once he'd finished building his box onto the pool yeah onto the pool (laughs) yeah um but it was it was a stormy evening as well and so apparently everyone was really worried that we were going to lose power I didn't know any of this but so my dad was at the shed starting up the generator and doing all those little extra tasks Keeping the logistics stuff, yeah. So um, I I had a really cool birth team and they all made it because this birth, it happened really quickly in the end. <laughs> and so at some point, Lee was told that I was in labour and then she didn't hear from me for an hour or so. So she rang us back and yeah. she was like, okay, I'll, I'll head over now. And yeah, of course she arrived and baby was born not too long afterwards. But interestingly, I was, I was ready to experience all the different parts of labor that I, I had learned about and read about and heard about in stories. And it just, it just moved along quite without any sort of definition and, and all, all the medical terminology refers to stages of labor and all of this stuff. But for me, experiencing that was not that. It was it was just flowing, and um, I I was experiencing some intensity, but I was also feeling pretty pretty amazing. I just remember sitting on the toilet at one point, and um, I got really fixated on whether the pool was filled and ready for to receive me. <laughs> And they were still madly trying to fill that pool out in the lounge room. So did you want to get in the pool earlier than you were able to? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, at some point. But you you did say that you went onto the toilet a few times. Was that just to be in a a smaller room or because you felt that was a comfortable position or...? Yeah, so in pod, 
in podcasts or uh, in birth stories, I had heard about the toilet being the dilation station. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's where I'll go hang out. Uh, but also I was sort of forced onto the, the toilet a little bit as well because my husband at one point was like, the water's going to run, like the hot water's going to run out and you want the pool, don't you? So <laughs> did you eat dinner that night? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so your dinner as normal. So paint the picture because I can see it in my mind because I have seen photos. You eventually, you had the pool filled. Mm-hmm. What was your surroundings like? How did you have the room set up and the mask? And uh, Oh, yeah, the mask. That was something I was so drawn to in my, in my labor. So I was sitting on this toilet and I'm laboring away. At some point, I'd done my own vaginal examination because, you know, midwife in labor, that's... I really did not want to do that. I just, in that moment, decided I wanted to see if the baby's head was there. And I was like, oh, four centimetres, and that feels like a bottom. <laughs> it was not a bottom. It was just memories. Okay. But <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll have a breech baby. <laughs> Fine. We'll roll with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, the mask bit was really cool because I just needed darkness. So I... I went and I got this mask and I put it on my eyes and I was fully in my bubble internally just rolling with the movements and the motions and the baby and all all the things that were going on in my body and the mask really helped me to do that. Um, So then once once my midwife and my student midwife arrived, they... Thank you for listening to Unscripted with Alex. This show was brought to you by Batika Co. 